Hi, I'm Thomas. Welcome to the Parachute Advice Podcast. My life has taken a lot of twists and turns, and on this podcast, I will dive into those experiences. The goal is to help everyone listening learn from my experiences and hopefully avoid some of the mistakes I've made. Hi, welcome to today's episode of the Parachute Advice Podcast. I'm your host, Thomas. Today, I want to follow up to my previous episode on exercise. As I've mentioned through several episodes, I am a firm believer in the idea that the only solution to weight loss is calories in versus calories out. To that point, I firmly stand behind the idea that you cannot outwork a bad diet. And as the line goes, weight loss happens in the kitchen and health happens in the gym. While not mutually exclusive, they also are not 100% connected. This is a topic that creates a lot of discussion and passionate responses from everyone in the weight loss community. I think my successful weight loss and maintenance of my weight post-diet shows that my approach works, or at least it did for me. This is not to say that my way is the only way, but I think it's a solid path. I'm a firm believer in the idea that the best plan for each person is the one that works best for them and gives you the results you want. So take the plan as I did it, use it as a starting point, or as a path you don't want to do, but make sure that you're doing what is best for your long-term success. Everyone's life, body, and situation is very different, and you need to tailor things to work for you. For example, I'm single and live alone, so when I come home after work, I don't have anyone vying for my attention. This allows me the luxury of having a very consistent set routine every day. To that point, let me start with this. I never chose to use exercise to lose weight. I still don't use exercise to lose or maintain weight. As I mentioned earlier in the episodes, it was very important to me to do my weight loss through diet and diet alone. Why was this important to me? First off the line, like I said a few minutes ago, you can't out-exercise a bad diet really struck with me. So first off, I needed to address this. And next, I frankly hated working out and exercise. This was especially true when I was overweight. This is a big one I think about every time I work out. Do you realize how hard you have to work out to cut enough calories to get a one pound of weight loss a week if you don't change anything in your diet? Let's do some quick math here. Here are my assumptions. 30 minutes of running burns 500 calories, which is on the very high end. Next, if you are overweight, you probably overeat by, let's say, at least 250 calories a day. Then on top of that, if you want to lose one pound a week, you need to cut your calories below maintenance by 500 calories. So this means you need to burn 750 calories above and beyond what you already do to lose weight. This means roughly 45 minutes, seven days a week. And this means no extra food, even with all of the extra working out. And you have to do this every day. There are studies that have shown for some people excessive exercise actually drives up hunger while not equally driving up calorie burn. All of the math I used is based on an optimal situation and optimal calorie burn. We know nothing is optimal. Next, let's say it's a holiday and you go a little overboard with an extra slice of pie. That's another 30 minutes of running you need to do that day. So now you're at an hour and 15 minutes of running. What happens if you add in a drink or two on top of that? Real quickly, you could need to run for the whole next day. Oh, and by the way, all of this is based on the higher end of calorie burn for an activity that has the highest of the calorie burn ratings for an exercise. Next, there are the studies out there that show exercise, unless extreme and overly excessive, does not in fact increase calories burnt over the course of a day. Your body simply adjusts. What am I saying? Well, let's look at it this way. 
if your base metabolic rate is 2000 calories a day and you run for 30 minutes at an intense rate, the workout should have burned 500 calories. Your daily calorie burn did not go to 2500, it's still 2000. This is probably very shocking to a lot of people, but when I really got into the into it and reading about it, it started to actually make a lot of sense. According to an article I've mentioned before on the website Vox titled The Science Is In, exercise won't help you lose much weight. What's important to absorb is the fact that we have very little control over our base metabolic rate, but it's actually our biggest energy hog. It's generally accepted that for most people, the base metabolic rate accounts for 60 to 80% of the total energy expenditure. Digesting food accounts for another 10%. That leaves only 10 to 30% for physical activity, of which exercise is only a small subset. Remember, physical activity includes all movements, including walking around, fidgeting, and etc. First off, our bodies have had tens of thousands of years to develop the ability to optimize our calorie burn. Think about it this way. It's only been a few hundred years, or at best, a hundred years, that we've had easy access to calories. For most of our ancestors, in order to eat and fuel our bodies, we had to burn significant calories. As a result, our bodies have become very good at adding fat and also very good at not giving it up. Think about it like that extremely cheap relative you know. If you give them $100, they'll hold on to that like their life depends on it, but ask them for a dollar and good luck getting that out of their pocket. Second to this is the idea that while you may have burned 500 calories while you worked out, your body was going to burn around 100 calories over that same time frame no matter what, just from base metabolic rate. So in reality, you only added 400 calories of additional energy usage to your day. On top of this, you will likely dial back other activities after the exercise, whether you realize it or not. For example, if you're a big hand talker, which uses energy, there's a good chance your body will do less subconsciously in an effort to conserve energy. Or you might subconsciously limit how much you walk at work or simply go to bed a little bit earlier due to being tired. All of this I know sounds like I'm against exercise and that's far from the case. I did choose to not add exercise into my routine until I'd lost 140 of the ultimate 185 pounds I lost over the 19 month weight loss journey. Why did I add in exercise? Well, it was twofold. As I mentioned, In previous episodes, my family has a history of heart disease and fatal heart attacks, so I thought it would be good to work on my cardiovascular health. And second, I was just bored one day. I had taken a few days off of work and realized I had all this free time and was just sitting around. So why not do something active? Plus, it could be a new thing to focus on since at that point in my diet, dieting become routine and frankly a little bit boring to me. I need challenge in my life, both physically and more importantly mentally, to stay excited and engaged. So what did I do for exercise? First off, as I mentioned, I'm cheap and had no interest in spending a ton of money on equipment or gym memberships. Second, I probably could fill a closet or two with all the sports equipment I've bought over the years that just goes unused. So I started out simply walking. Initially, I used Google Maps to find a two-mile path through my neighborhood and just walk that every day after work and time myself, pushing over time to do it faster. As I got bored with the same route, I started using my Fitbit to track each walk with GPS and my heart rate. This was a great way to relax and listen to podcasts every day after work. At my peak, I was doing about three miles in an hour each day. I quickly realized I was not seeing the improvements I wanted to, and the only way that that was going to happen was to turn those walks into runs. And I hated running. Pure and simple, I did not and would not run unless my life was in danger. That extreme hatred of running is funny now. But give me a few minutes before we circle back to that statement. 
I will say in a way, I still hate running, but I also love it more than I thought possible. More to come on that crazy turn of events too. One key aspect I got out of those walks was I built a habit of consistency around working out and I needed it in my daily routine. Any day I didn't walk or work out, I found to be frustrating to say the least. It became a real mental fight to even take a rest day. As I discussed several, several episodes ago in the initial episode on exercise, after a lot of back and forth and analysis, I decided to get a spin bike and that's what I was gonna do for my exercise. I bet everyone listening is gonna think I jumped onto the Peloton bandwagon. Well, big surprise, I did not. Why is this? Plain and simple, because I'm cheap. At the time, February of 2021, the basic Peloton bike was $1,800 and the Bike Plus was $2,400. Couple that with the fact that you had to subscribe to their monthly subscription service at $40 a month and are locked into their ecosystem, and it was not the right choice for me. I knew I wanted a good build bike with Bluetooth connectivity, built-in sensors, and magnetic resistance, which is easier to use, lasts longer, and is quieter and feels better when riding. That eliminated most lower-cost stationary bikes for me. This is not to say if you're on a budget, those won't work. It just wasn't what I was looking for. There's a lot of great spin or indoor cycling apps out there, including the app version of Peloton, Zwift, Sufferfest, iFit, Apple Fitness, Ruby, Fuel Gas, Tax, Trainer Road, and just generic stats trackers as well. All of those do not work on the Peloton. There are some workarounds I've seen, but to the most part, any bike that is from a specific company that offers classes locks you into their system, like Peloton, Echelon, Bowflex, or Nordic Track, to name a few. So where did this leave me? From everything I read, the Schwinn IC4 offered me the best experience and the best cost point. It is not cheap, but it was far more affordable than a Peloton. I spent 900 for my bike, basically half the price of a basic Peloton. There's also a lot of online communities where people often sell these used. As of recording this new episode, I'm seeing the bike for almost half of what I paid on sale at times on websites like Amazon and Target. Next was to pick what app I would use. I started a free trial with Peloton and frankly loved it. I didn't think I would, but they sucked me in. You don't get nearly as many features or stats using the app versus the bike, but I only pay $13 a month versus $40 a month. Yeah, the leaderboard would be cool and all the extra data like power output would be great to have, but not for that extra cost. Plus, I can cancel and change apps anytime I want or use multiple ones based on my mood. Some, like Zwift and Sufferfest, are almost game-like if that's what works for you. As I've mentioned previously and shared on Instagram, I set my bike up in front of a 32-inch TV in my bedroom. I use a Roku to airplay from my iPhone. You can see photos on my Instagram page like I mentioned from several months ago. The iPhone connects to the bike's Bluetooth for cadence and then the included heart rate monitor that came with the bike, or you can purchase a separate heart rate monitor. The TV is just to make the sound louder and the class instructor bigger, but I could just as easily use the iPhone on its own. A couple things to know here. The bike and the Peloton app plays better with an iPhone or iPad than Android. Also, if you want to use your Apple Watch for heart rate, it has to be an iPhone. It can't be an iPad. Next, and probably the biggest one, is the resistance the Peloton instructor calls out will not match the Schwinn IC4. There are a million ways to figure out this info, and people claim every bike is different. But what I used was the rule of subtract 15 from what the instructor calls out and set the Schwinn to that up to 50. After 50, I'm not actually sure because I rarely ride at that resistance, even if, even if it's called out for, because I just don't like riding standing up. That's just a personal preference for me. So if they say a resistance of 35, I set my bike to 20. 
I tried a friend's Peloton bike plus a few months ago, and I think my math is pretty close. Next, I upgraded to Shimano pedals so I could use actual biking shoes and clip in easily. I went with PD M520 pedals, and then I bought a pair of Shimano XC3 shoes. I tried to start with regular shoes and the pedals the bike came with, but quickly found that this was not working. You will get better performance by clipping in. I don't care I don't care what anyone says, cages for regular shoes just are not the same as physically being connected to the bike. So there I was, all in with an investment of 1040 plus 1370 a month for my Peloton app. My next rule was I need to make sure I used the bike enough to make purchasing cheaper than using a gym or a spin club. On average, a spin class is $12 to $15 or $150 a month for unlimited. So I tracked until the number of rides and months used got me to that or below. As of today, my per workout cost is under $3 and my monthly cost is about $50. And both will keep going down the more I use it since the majority of the cost is spent and not increasing. One big idea I buy into is the concept that it takes three months of consistently doing something to turn that activity into a habit. If you know anything about spin, you know reaching 100 rides is a major milestone. So when I started working out, I decided to make my new exercise routine a habit. I would push to do 100 classes in 100 days. I started out slow with a lot of beginner 15 or 20 minute classes to build comfort. Initially, I was doing one class a day and hit 20 day streak to start before I started to have hip pain. At that point, I switched to a five or six days a week and would do two classes some days to get additional time in. For example, on a Saturday morning, I would often get up and do 30 minute music themed ride and then a 15 minute low impact ride or do a warm up ride and then a hard hit or Tabata ride. If you're short on time or lose interest quickly but want a great workout, I am telling you, there's nothing like an eight out of 10 on the effort scale Tabata ride, which is a form of hit where the high intensity period is two times the low intensity portion. So you go all out for 20 seconds and then you rest and relax for 10. One of my favorites is a basic 20 minute class where you do that 20 times in a row with two one minute cool downs in between. As I've mentioned in previous episodes, I ultimately hit my goal and by that point, spin had become a regular part of my routine. I genuinely enjoyed it and missed the days I wasn't doing it. As of recording this episode, I'm getting close to hitting 500 classes in 600 days and I'm coming up on two years with my spin bike. The the health impacts have been monumental. I've seen my resting heart rate go from the 60s down to as low as 39 if I have a solid stretch of working out and eating well. Here's where things took a very unexpected turn of events. While I still love spin, I was getting bored with it. It just wasn't offering me the challenge anymore that I wanted. It was getting harder and harder to get the level of workout I wanted without adding excessive time on the bike. As I mentioned previously, I get bored easily and need a challenge in my life. So I started to add walks back into my workout routine. After doing a 20 minute spin class, I would immediately throw on my walking shoes and head out for a walk. Very quickly, I was back to where I had started with walking. I was getting nothing out of it. So I decided if I love a challenge so much, why not do the one thing that I hate more than anything else? Yep, running it was. You heard that correctly. I decided to try running. I went to a fantastic running store in the Milwaukee area called Performance Running Outfitters to get fitted for true running shoes. This process was very helpful. Initially, I was just gonna Google shoes and order something, but then I decided if I was about to spend 150 or more dollars on shoes, I better make sure they were the right ones. 
So here's how the process of getting fitted for running shoes goes. I went to this store and explained I had never run before but wanted to start and needed shoes. First off, they have you just walk around the store to see how you walk. Next, they put you into a pretty standard neutral running shoe and have you run on a treadmill while they film your feet to see how they move. What did I learn by this process? I had overpronation meaning the ankles roll too far downward and inward with each step. It continues to roll when the toes should be starting to push off. As a result, the big toe and second toe do all the push off and the foot twists more than it should with each step. Overpronation can lead to strain on the big toe and second toe and instability in the foot. The excessive rotation of the foot leads to more rotation of the tibula in the lower leg. The result is a greater incidence of shin splints and knee pain. Overpronation can also lead to excessive strain on the posterior tibula tendon, causing shin splints and posterior tibulitis tendon dysfunction in older adults. Motion control shoes, insoles, or orthotics are designed to correct foot motion and overpronation. All of those things described are issues I've had for years since middle school, high school, and even into college. It's the top reason why I hated running. As a result, they recommended a stability shoe. This is a running shoe designed to help athletes who overpronate. It supports the arch of the foot and provides greater support through the midsole and into the heel. Stability shoes are usually more rigid than neutral running shoes. Next was trying multiple stability shoes from little to no cushion up to walking on a cloud. I was personally convinced I wanted super soft shoes, so I tried them side by side. How do they do this? Well, they have you put a different shoe on each foot from different brands or styles. One on the left foot and one on the right foot. And then you run on a short track to mimic running outside. See which one feels most comfortable. The result was, turns out I hate super soft shoes and I also hate super hard shoes. I needed a middle of the line stability shoe. This is also where using a true running sword comes in hand. I ended up with a brand of shoe I'd never heard of and would have never found without going to the store. I ended up spending $140 on my new shoes. They're Hoka Aria 6 from a brand known either as simply Hoka or Hoka 1-1. The entire process at this store was amazing and a total game changer for me. The first run in these shoes was like nothing I'd experienced in my entire life of running. Honestly, I wish I had done this a long time ago. Next, I developed a running plan to build up to a 5K. I did a ton of research on proper running form and technique as well. If you are new to running, knowing how to move can have huge impacts on the comfort of running and prevent injury as well. There are plenty of great programs and apps for you to use. Such programs include things like Couch to 5K, or there's a great free podcast from the UK National Health Service. In the end, deciding I wanted a challenge, I created my own plan. Why? Well, just kind of happened to be honest. I've come to learn spending too much time researching and thinking about it versus just doing slows me down and becomes an excuse to not do something. I figured that if I started running and was struggling, I could go back and use one of those programs. But initially, I would just start doing it. So here's the plan I set up and the one I'm using now. I started with 20 minutes of run walks on the Peloton Outdoor, which were great. Most were power walk warm up and then a one or two minute period of running followed by the same length walk. More intense ones would ramp up to three minute plus runs followed by walks. I did that for two weeks, five days a week. I would start each run with a 10 or 15 minute spin class to warm up and then run in my neighborhood. Over the two week period, I started skipping the walk periods till I noticed I was often running straight five to 10 minutes before needing to walk for 30 seconds to a minute before running again. 
Next, I decided to do a 20 minute run from the Peloton outdoor section. Also, I started adding in what is called a brick workout one day a week. If you're not familiar with it, a brick workout is a common training technique triathletes use. A brick workout refers to stacking two disciplines during the same workout, one right after the other with minimal to no interruption in between. As you switch modes of exercise, your body needs to effectively and efficiently prepare for the next demand while recovering from the previous excessive demand. Your heart rate increases significantly as your body tries to shift the blood flow from the muscles of the first exercise to the demands of the muscles of the next. What did this mean for me? It was usually a 30 minute spin class and then immediately changing shoes and going for a full out run to hit a mile with no break and then push each week to cut that time down. After three weeks of this, I decided it was time and I went for it. I came home from work and I ran a 5K, hitting an average pace of nine minutes and 51 seconds. But that wasn't enough for me. I wanted to get my gold badge for running on the Peloton app that month, which meant 40 miles in a month. And I had a day left to do it. And after after doing the 5K, I still had 2.8 miles to go. So what did I do? I went and ran a second 5K the next day. I was able to successfully go from never having run for pleasure or true exercise to back-to-back 5Ks in 30 days. Yes, I had a head start with the cardio endurance, but I can tell you running uses a whole different set of muscles from spin, and it was far more intense, at least right now for me. Ultimately, my current workout routine is Monday, 10-minute spin, 20-minute run. Tuesday, 30 minutes of spin and a 1-1.5 to mile sprint. Wednesday is a 30-minute run with a goal of trying to push to a sub-30-minute 5K consistently. Thursday is 30 minutes of spin. Friday is a 30-minute run at an easy pace. Saturday is a spin-and-run combo or just a spin depending on how I feel. Sometimes a Saturday is also a low-pace run keeping my heart rate down. Sunday is purely for stretching and relaxing with no intense training. At some point, I'd like to add in weights or resistance training, but I'm still pushing that off because I just hate the cost of that gym membership as well as the travel time to go to and from the gym. I just feel like it adds too much to the length of a workout. But I do suspect come winter that's going to change because I'm going to need to run on a treadmill and I have no intention of buying a treadmill anytime soon. In the end, you need to find an activity you enjoy and can make a consistent part of your day. It can be anything that gets you moving and preferably increases your heart rate. Some examples is walking, jogging, riding a bike, getting a gym membership, hiking, skateboarding, simple bodyweight exercises, or really anything besides sitting on the couch watching TV. On top of that, you don't need a ton of equipment or have to spend a lot of money or really any money at all to get an exercise. If you want some small, simple equipment, look on Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace, Play It Again Sports, or discount stores like TJ Maxx and Sierra Trading Post. One last side note, it's something I've done and seen done. After working out, watch your eating habits. Drastic increases in energy expenditures will create hunger, and with that, the desire to eat more than you plan. Also, in my view, you don't need special supplements or recovery foods. A lot of those so-called workout supplements and food items are loaded with calories that are designed to be calorie-dense to make fueling up on the go easy, but can easily wreck your diet. If you're running a marathon, a calorie-dense health bar, or what I prefer to call a fancy candy bar, might be helpful, but not for 99% of us. A 250-calorie protein bar on your ride home from the gym could easily be the difference between losing weight or not. It's one, of the one, it's one of the main reasons why I like to work out right before I was going to eat dinner. During the week, I come home from work, I work out, then I make dinner. 
Weekends, I often work out before my morning coffee or right before lunch. But again, watch and measure. I've seen my oil pour or my scoop of rice or my oatmeal get heavier right after I work out. It is such a subconscious thing that you may not even notice unless you really watch and measure. Again, this is why I use a scale and grams or pre-measured items like instant oatmeal packets or pre-measured rice when possible. If your meal is done right, you can fuel up while satisfying yourself and staying on plan. If you need cooking ideas, check out my Instagram page. I've shared plenty of great meals that are easy to make, healthy, and low calorie. This journey doesn't have to be torture. It really can be fun and fulfilling. Will you want to work out every day? No, but I can assure you after you're done, you will feel so good and have a huge sense of accomplishment. Hell, like me, you may find that the one thing you have spent years avoiding becomes a new passion of yours. I remember thinking how impressive people who randomly ran a weekend 5K were. Now, I run 5Ks for an afternoon workout. Who would have ever thought? My biggest takeaway from this whole journey is we really can do anything we put our effort into and be successful at it if we do it right and set the correct expectations. Thank you for listening. Please join me again for future episodes. You can contact me at parachuteadvicepodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's all one word, parachuteadvicepodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at parachuteadvice. Again, thank you for listening, and please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.